Dusty, have you ever gone on a hunting trip? Well, yeah. You pack all your stuff. Let's say you're driving to New Hampshire. Let's say I'm driving to Ohio, and you're hunting for four, five, six days. What's the biggest challenge you usually have? You're going to stop multiple times and get gas, and I, I worry about odor the whole way. It's always in the back of your head. After talking to our friend Tim Gothier, we realized that there's a better solution that is portable, and that solution is called the Scentlock Enforcer. This nifty little device about the size of an iPhone, it produces ozone. Ozone is this naturally occurring O3 molecule that actually naturally removes odors, kills bacteria, binds to all kinds of odor particles in the air, and basically makes you scent-free instead of like a scent cover-up. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. You can put this in your toe. It operates off of a USB and has an eight-hour battery life. It's the personal ozone generator. It is the personal ozone generator. If you want to check it out, go to scentlockenforcer.com. That's S-C-E-N-T-L-O-K enforcer.com. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, powered by Scentlock Enforcer, episode number 171. Mark Stuckbauer. Increasing your odds with natural cover scents, scraping the ground, and the stealth step. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by the Scentlock Enforcer, the Eurohanger, and Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey everyone, it's Eva Shockey. You're about to listen to another great episode of Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi everybody, I'm Michael Waddell with the Ball and Pleasure TV Show, and you're getting ready to listen to another episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi, this is Tim Brent, commercial real estate broker at NAI Carolantic Realty in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are about to press play on my favorite deer hunting podcast, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay, and I am pumped. I mean, really pumped. that You push that play button right there on your audio device to tune into the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast and listen to everything we bring you each and every week for one hour, at least, by bringing in some of the most knowledgeable deer hunters that we can find on this planet and sharing those experiences with you so you can do it too. And also joining us right here, right now, one of the best hunters I know, Dusty Phillips from Ohio. What's happening, Dusty? Oh, man, the rut's just around the corner, Jay. That's exciting. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I hate the rut. You know, I, yeah. I like the movement of the rut. It gets a lot of deer, and you, you just never know what's going to show up. That's the cool part. I'm seeing a lot of pre-rut stuff going on. Are, are you having that same experience? Yeah, I'm just now, I, I've been busy, and I'm, I'm going to say that I'm just now getting myself into the whitetail woods officially as far as, you know, putting the time in to, to hunt a mature whitetail here in Ohio. Uh, just, you know, other priorities and crops and things like that and hunting turkeys and bear in New Hampshire. And there's just things that come in front of it this year. And um, 
I'm just now really getting active out in the woods and I'm seeing scrapes and rubs and signs of things that are happening. Right. Right. I, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag and I like the early season because they're patternable. And then once September leaves, October comes. I know this, this whole thing about the October lull, you know, studies say it doesn't exist, but there's a transition from, of activity, I believe. I don't think there's a lull per se. I just think they're starting to change their patterns. So the places you were once seeing deer may not be there anymore. And places where you weren't seeing them is where they're starting to appear. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and right now, but this particular week here, bucks are really focusing on packing on a, a, the food bag, if you should say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. I, yeah. It's funny you say that. I, the, the photos that I'm getting on and videos that I'm getting on my camera, um, I, I'm watching deer eat acorns. Like they're literally got their nose to the ground, chomping away at, in this case, red oaks, which is unusual because usually they wait. But some of the bigger bucks, specifically the bigger bucks, um, and I've noticed this on the camera where the smaller bucks, not so much, but the big bucks, they are pounding on the acorns and just layering their fat. It must be a genetic thing, or, you know, it's a. Uh, evolutionary survival thing where they know they're going to be running for a month here in a few days and i got to get my last calories in before i go on that long trip oh yeah no doubt about it they're uh they're definitely trying to pack on some uh some energy and some resources right now just just to get themselves to be prepared for what's to come it's like they know right now you know they already know and man i sure am seeing a lot of daylight pictures of some really nice bucks right now on, on everybody's social media Yes, they are very, very rampant right now, I would say. So, well, I mean, you've seen the, the pictures that are being sent in, the, just the kills. I mean, it's went from, it's like a light switch went on, right? Uh, you, oh, yeah, no doubt about it. It's, it's that time of year. Yeah. I mean, you and I both maintain our Facebook page for the Big Buck Registry, and we get notification when a new picture got sent in, like you know, through the Facebook Messenger part of our Facebook page. So it's like ting, ting. Ting, 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 constant notification. And it's been like that for, what, three weeks or so? It's It's been crazy. Yeah, my, my phone's about to, to detonate here the last <laughs> week. Knowing you, you're about to throw it in the pond. Thought about it, yeah. but that, that, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to look at great buck pictures. That's true. That is true. I do have a story that I would like to share that was sent in by a fellow by the name of Jake Miller. And Jake, this is not the Jake Miller from the O-Town Killers who we have featured on our podcast a while back, but Jake is a fan of the show and a follower on our Facebook page. He shot a buck in January in Texas, and he sent in a picture. We posted it on our Facebook page as we would for any great deer that was killed by a great hunter. And there was this really good story behind it, a touching story, actually, and I wanted to read it for everybody. Jake writes, hey, guys. Great to finally get around to sending a pic of my first deer. So it's Jake's first deer. I'm on active duty, 13 years, Navy combat corpsman. Grew up fishing in the Kankakee River in my backyard in Wilmington, Illinois. My stepdad taught me how to fish, but didn't want to upset my mom by taking me hunting. After years of interest and a few combat tours with the Marine Infantry, I finally started to teach myself how to hunt when I got stationed in Texas. Using a borrowed rifle on friend's land in Bandera, Texas, I called this buck in with a series of doe bleats and buck runs. I made a natural blind on a small hillside against a tree. It was about 30 minutes from sunset, and I had been sitting there all day. I still had the call on my lips, and it felt like a dream. 
I had never seen a buck in the wild before this moment. Out from the brush and tree line, this buck steps into the light and stands there surveying the landscape roughly 50 yards to my 2 o'clock. My heart was racing, adrenaline pumping. It was January 1st and about 30 degrees outside, but my hands started sweating. I watched him slowly make his way around a patch of trees and circle around about 75 yards in front of me. Once I was settled on his vitals, all my training with the Marine Corps took over. I took a slow breath in, repeated, slow is smooth, in my head, slowly exhaled, and felt the surprise of the trigger pull. He ran 20 yards and went down. This was one of the greatest moments of my life and the beginning of a lifelong passion. When I sent a picture to my mom and dad, he asked my mom, where did he learn to hunt? To which I quickly replied, Iraq. I think this was the first time my parents realized what we did in Iraq, and I was no longer their little boy. Anyways, it's an honor to be able to share this moment with y'all, and I download every week and listen to all your shows. I don't mind if you post a picture or not. I just wanted to share my story with someone that would enjoy it as much as I did. Best of luck with the show, and I will get around to making a donation ASAP. I apologize for the pics. I had to take a selfie because no one was home and I wanted to get a picture before the sun went down. Pictured is my son and daughter who wanted to take a picture with him too. I processed the deer myself and made a Euro mount myself. Hope you like it. Sincerely, Jake. Wow. That's all I got to say. Well, I, I would like to invite you to fill out our survey that we still have going. All you have to do is go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash survey. We're just trying to get an idea of who's listening to the show. It's only like five questions. Not a bunch of spam. Sorry to me to cut you off, Jay, but there's there's not a bunch of spam mail coming from it. Yeah. There I don't I don't even I think you have to put in an email, but we're not using that to email you. We're just I think they needed to authenticate who that somebody actually filled this out and it wasn't a spam coming our way, basically. So, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just go fill that out so we can get a better idea who's listening to this show. And, uh, again, no spam. It's simply for knowledge-based only. Five questions, super easy. I did it. Dusty did it. Jim did it. So it's all very, very simple. Bigbuckregistry.com forward slash survey. Our guest this week is Mark Stuckbauer. And Mark is a hunter. And one of the things that he does that I think might not, not necessarily unique. I think there are other guys that are doing this too, but he's one of the first to really kind of bring it to the forefront and talk about it in a, a knowledge-based sense and to just make awareness of it. He talks about natural cover scent. We, we all have this ability to go into the woods and mask ourselves with the things that are around us and, and our surroundings as we walk in the woods. And a lot of times I don't think we think that we should grab uh, and strip off uh, some of the hemlock pine needles and, and rub them in and cover yourself. We don't think to pick up goldenrod and rub it and you use that on our clothes or acorns. And I don't know if you can make a buckeye cover scent or not, but um, you've shown me what a real buckeye is. So it's a nut with a little um, with a white center on it, right? Right, and I tell you what, another one—a walnut. Uh, Walnuts. Walnut hall is man, right. real aroma. Great, all that stuff. All the nuts—they're all aromatic. They all grind up fairly well with a fairly simple. You know, all you have to do is you know stomp them on the ground, stomp them on the tree, rub them into a tree stand. Um, they're fairly easy to crush up and cover yourself, and now you bat, you blend into the background. Well, Mark has a whole repertoire of things he does to do that. 
Uh, so we're going to learn about what he does with natural cover sense. It's free, it's easy, it's simple, and easily overlooked. But Mark's going to bring it to the forefront here. We also talk about the Stealth Step, which is one of those devices. We noticed it at ATA a couple of years ago, and we thought it was kind of interesting. And it's this plastic device that basically replaces the, the ladder sticks and helps you get into your tree stander, but they're lightweight. And you and I were looking at them. We're big guys, right? And we were like, man, I don't know if that's going to hold me. And son of a gun, it did when we when we experimented with it on the log at ATA. Sure enough. It did. Uh, so he's going to talk about the stealth step a little bit, um, go through our, our rapid fire questions uh, at the end. And uh, we'll, we're going to talk about the natural cover scent. But before we get to Mark, let's turn to Jim Keller with the deer news. The deer news this week is sponsored by the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big buck. Get yourself a Eurohanger. Facebook.com forward slash Eurohanger, E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the deer news. Our first story this week, Denison, Iowa man suffers self-inflicted injury on his way to hunt deer. This story was featured on the KJAN.com website and was written by Rick Hansen. Officials with the Iowa DNR said Tuesday a Denison man suffered a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his thigh from a pistol he was carrying in his waistband shortly after he began walking to the field to deer hunt with his muzzleloader. The injury occurred around 5 p.m. Monday in southern Crawford County. 54-year-old Daniel Gelling was taken to Denison Hospital and then flown by helicopter to Omaha Medical Center for surgery. He is currently in stable condition. Gelling was headed to the field with his wife, Carolyn. He adjusted the gun in his waistband when it discharged. Carolyn called for help and then applied pressure on the wound until rescue personnel arrived. It is common for hunters who have a permit to carry to carry a pistol with them while hunting. It is illegal to have a pistol in possession while archery hunting. This story serves as a reminder to us all to be careful out there this year. Bash Pro Shop CEO writes letter explaining what will happen to Cabela's. This article was featured on the OutdoorHub.com website. Johnny Morris, founder and CEO of Bass Pro Shops, wrote an open letter to Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's employees and customers on BassProShops.com. The letter offers an update on the company's recent business deal and also what to expect in the future from the newly combined company. In his letter, Mr. Morris thanks the Cabela's for their hard work to bring the Cabela's brand to where it stands today. Mr. Morris also speaks to his excitement about combining the Cabela's hunting brand, the Bass Pro Fishing brand, and the White River Marine Group's boating brand together under one umbrella. He acknowledges his respect and admiration for the Cabela's family members who have started such a huge brand humbly at their kitchen table. His letter also mentions that the company will remain privately owned and includes a list of frequently asked questions. Be sure to check out our show notes for a link to his letter. Safety first in the tree stand. This story was originally posted in the Outdoor News website and was written by Mike Rikovics. Statistics show hunting ranks among the safest of outdoor sports, and hunting-related injuries have dropped considerably in the past dozen years. However, these figures don't tell the whole story because it's difficult for game agencies to track the injuries sustained in falls from tree stands. As a result, they aren't included in these statistics. According to the National Bowhunter Education Foundation, more than 90% of bowhunters use some type of tree stand for hunting. Since many of these bowhunters also hunt with a firearm, 
it's easy to see why it's estimated one in every three hunters who hunt from an elevated platform will likely suffer a tree stand-related injury at some point in their hunting career. For decades, the Tree Stand Manufacturers Association has been working to promote and improve hunter safety through improved tree stand designs and by the inclusion of a full body harness with every TMA certified tree stand sold. Even though a full body harness can prevent many serious injuries, 10% of those who fall while wearing one still suffer serious after effects because they were not able to self-rescue. Here are a few tips to consider when using a tree stand and hunt and safety harness. Check your harness before each season to make sure it's in good condition and hasn't deteriorated in the off-season. Use the stand and harness with a safety climbing rope that keeps you secure as you climb up into the stand. Practice with your safety harness a foot or two off the ground to make sure you know what to do should you happen to be in a fall. Just another safety reminder as we continue into the season. Three studies, three starts for the October lull. This story was originally featured on the QDMA website. Do whitetails really go into a movement slump in the pre-rut? If not, what's behind the October lull phenomenon that many hunters say they witness? QDMA's Kip Adams tackled these questions in a recent article in Quality Whitetails magazine. He reviewed three studies involving GPS collars placed on bucks, and all three had similar findings. Average daily movement rates for bucks increased steadily throughout the pre-rut into the butt peak. No lull or slump in movements was seen in any of these studies, each of which was based on GPS tracking data for numerous adult bucks. These studies were conducted in Maryland, Texas, and Louisiana. For links to the stories featured this week, including additional details on the QDMA article, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller with the Deer News. Without further ado... Here's Mark Stuckbauer. Mark Stuckbauer, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. So where are you at right now, Mark? I'm in Geauga County, Ohio. Which we're about uh, we're east of Cleveland. If you ever see on the news in the wintertime when it's snowing like crazy, yeah. well, we are the snow belt. We actually live in Chardon. You're the snow belt. And, uh, okay. We are the yeah, we are it. When you see, you know, 60 inches of snow, uh, that's usually us. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's a lot of snow. How'd you end up there? Um, actually born and raised. I uh, bought a house uh, right across from the community that I grew up in, actually. Okay. We actually live in Munson Township, and that's actually the township that I work for. Okay. All right. So you're, you're not, big deer are not foreign to you. No. Living No, we got a... Yeah, we have a lot of old waterways, uh, swamp systems. The actual area that I hunt now is a, I believe it's a 136 acre lake, and uh, it's you know surrounded by just swampland. And gotcha. that's what I grew up hunting, me and my buddies, and still to this day. Gotcha. So you grew up there. Uh, tell me about your your mom and dad and siblings. I have a twin sister. Uh, her name is Maggie, and my ma is 75 years old. She retired a couple years back for a month and went right back to work. Um, she's the hardest working lady I've ever met in my life, and she's been uh, a big help in my life. Um, and my dad, unfortunately, he passed away about 20 years ago. Okay, gotcha. It was actually 20 years ago this past June. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, it happens. How was how was the how was the household growing up? Was your mom strict? No, um, you know, obviously, uh, my dad was a cop, hmm. so uh, you know, he kind of said, 
you know, it, it is what it is. And if you don't like it, well, we can come talk outside. And he taught right. us a couple of valuable <laughs> lessons, you know. Right. You don't lie. You don't steal. You don't cheat. You don't, you know, just treat people how you want to be treated. Right. Well, that makes sense. So yeah. do you think that's kind of part of your, your being today? Are you are you kind of that way as well? Or, or oh, how com- do you see life? Yeah, completely. I mean, if you need the shirt off my back, I'll be right back because I'm going to go to the store and buy a couple extras. Right on. Uh, anybody that really knows me, <laughs> anybody that right knows on. me knows that. You know, I'll do anything in the world for pretty much anybody, even even if I don't know you. That's that's awesome. That's the kind of person yeah. I am as well. And, yeah. and I, I like people that that do that. Just be kind if you can. Right. Some people don't deserve it, but most people Yeah, don't. exactly. Yeah. Oh, and they'll know if they don't deserve it. Right. <laughs> So what? Tell, how did hunting come into your life as a, as a child? Was it something your family did? Is it was it a tradition or is it something that your dad or mom did? How did that all start? All right. Well, believe it or not, uh, my dad was not a big hunter. My okay. cousins and my uncle, uh, those were the hunters, and I went out with them a couple times when I was very young. And uh, my one of my best friends to this day actually uh, runs now Gander Mountain out here by us okay and uh he's the store manager there and he basically introduced me into archery hunting when i was i think 12 years old Hmm. 12 or 13 years old and i bought a um an old oneida screaming eagle from him that was my first bow that i had (laughs) nice yeah yeah compound recurve if i remember correctly and basically we just you know we go to school and we get off of school and we all right let's go find some deer okay i remember going through in in snowstorms when the moon would be out you know, trying to get into fields to see how many deer we can count. You know, two o'clock in the morning, being kids. So, uh, experimenting when you were a kid with and kid and teenagers. You know, mm-hmm. um, what did you start to learn about whitetail and their behavior at that age? I mean, there must have been some some lessons learned back then because you might have yeah. made mistakes. I'm sure you, you didn't. I mean, you, they probably weren't going to seminars or anything. So, oh no. So, how did you learn how to hunt? Basically, by trial and error, I would like to say probably like the rest of everybody. Right. I remember flinging enough double X seventy five arrows right over the backs of deer. You know, wondering how come I missed them at fourteen yards. Well, because I never practiced. You know, to me, as a little kid, you know, I was like, oh yeah, it's hunting season. Let's just go. You know, I'm ready. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't take the ethics and take the priorities. You know, do it right back then. I didn't practice enough. I didn't scout. I didn't, you know, pay attention to scent controls, anything like that. I just went out because that's what we were doing. Yeah. You know, that's what me and all my buddies did. Um, some of us were successful. Some of us weren't. But it wasn't until probably actually after I got my first doe um, that I really started paying attention to kind of my shot placements. Hmm. When I was fortunate enough, my first doe, she went like 12 yards. And that was it. And I just remember taking, you know, taking care of the process of the deer out, looking at its heart just thinking it was one wow that went right through it hmm. so that yeah. that was like a defining moment when you yeah. you realize shot placement means you don't have to chase them that as far yeah that and i never wanted to hurt something I never wanted to wound an animal right right you know and to this day especially you know you know take my time you know make sure i'm right on and you know just slowly pull that trigger right that second hunt after you pull the trigger is always better when it's short oh yeah oh yes indeed yeah it's much better that way. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we wanted to talk about and kind of the thing that got us started is you had mentioned to me that you're into these natural cover scents. 
Yes, indeed. It's. It sounds like you've been employing it. It's probably some lesson learned, and that you've probably figured out that something goes really well when you use these things. So I thought that was a great topic of conversation for us to get into because we haven't covered it on the show, and it it is something that is out there. I've I've used it, you know, from hemlock uh, oils to and just stuff you find out there. But I always do better when I do that than when I don't. Right. So it's right. a great, it's a great topic, and I think it's something that we can all use in our our bag of tricks to get closer to animals. And I think if we can highlight some of that stuff today, so that people who and I think there's some of the old timers kind of knew all knew all this stuff, but there might be some newer hunters that weren't aware of this situation and just looking at what you can buy in the bottle. But right. in fact, there's a lot of great stuff out there that's just out there that's already natural to the deer, and you can just. In my mind, in my mind, what you're trying to do is just blend in, trying to blend into the background with how you smell, how you act, how you look, all that, so that they just mm-hmm. don't know you become a ghost, essentially. Right. So tell me about some of your technique. Like, what are some of the things you start to look at when you're talking about natural cover? Well, with the natural cover, um, you could probably ask anybody that has hunted with me or that still hunts with me, and they hate hanging tree stands with me okay. because I will take so much time. I'm not necessarily looking for the uh, the perfect tree, but I will not put up a tree stand in a single stem tree. I will not. I'm 220 pounds. I'm a rather you know a little bit of a big guy, and if I put myself in a 22 inch tree, I'm going to stick out on each side fairly well. So to me, it just makes more sense and a lot more sense to find a two-stem, three-stem tree to where I can have my, basically my outline camouflage broken up a little bit. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about scent cover then. As, so you, you're talking about doing some kind of um, masking visually, but there's this whole scent masking that goes in that's, what, what types of things are you looking for that naturally occur in the woods that you apply as your scent cover? Oh, man, that, that depends on where you live in the country. Right. Um, you know, up here in Ohio, we have uh, an abundance of goldenrod and wild viburnum and, you know, choke cherry and all those different different types of plants out there. Um, one of the things you can do is look around. Look what you have around you. Almost everything, every kind of tree and plant that you have around you emits some type of an oil. And when you rub those leaves together, you know, the new fresh growth on the twigs is very aromatic. Some of them not as much as others, but most of the time is, is aromatic. And, uh, you know, for me, goldenrod's the big one up here, and it okay. happens to flower in the fall. Okay. Why goldenrod? Is is just plentiful? It's it's everywhere. Okay. If, uh, you know, not necessarily in the swampy areas, yeah. but as I'm walking into my tree stand, or, or in my case, I take a boat to my trail to my tree stand, but on that trail, it's just loaded with goldenrod. So as I walk, I just pick a couple spurts of it. You know, throw it in my pocket, okay. you know, fill up one pocket, and get up on my tree stand. Okay, I so get you, up in there. You don't worry about the rubbing it on your pant legs or anything like that. You're just you just grab some and put it in your pocket. Right. What right. It, what does and it I, smell like? Does it have a unique smell? It's almost like a like a citrusy. Okay. It almost has like a lemon citrusy kind of uh, aromatic smell to it. I guess okay. it's not a bad, it's not a bad smell. It's not like skunk weed or skunk cabbage. Okay. And it's something that the, the deer identify as just something they smell all the time. Yeah, exactly. Even the leaves are aromatic on it. Okay. So it's, you know, bright yellow flower. It's, you know. So this is not, it's not that involved. Like, you're just picking some and putting it in your pocket, and that's your calling. Exactly. All right. 
What else do you use? Well, it depends. I mean, if I have apple trees around me, you know, I'll I'll grab a couple of apples on the way in. You know, the same thing. Throw those in my pockets. Get them in my tree stand. Rub them in my hands. Rub them on the tree on the okay. on the uh, tree stand itself. Anything that's going to help you know mask that scent at my okay. level that I'm at. All right. Downwind. What else do you take a look at? So- uh, everything from maples to oaks you know acorns is another great thing and plus it's you know all deer love acorns especially the white oaks which we have a lot of around us all right how do you we have some reds but more or less it's how do you handle the acorns uh basically the same same philosophy i just pick up you know a handful 10 12 15 whatever throw them in my pocket and get up there and i'll crush those into my tree stand okay you don't get a whole lot of fragrance out of them. No. Um, well, they're, you they're know, you, they are kind of a bit aromatic in a sense, right? Not not, not like goldenrod or anything, but they do. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But you know, to me, putting an acorn scent in the air at twenty foot up a tree, well, that's a good thing. Right. How do you go about crushing them? I literally, I will put them in. Uh, you know, I just have regular chain on stands, and on the edge of the chains where it actually attaches to the framework is usually smaller openings. Yep. And I'll just literally push those down into that and use my foot and just kind of crush them around a little bit. Okay. You All can right. peel the skin off of them. Um, you know, as long as they haven't dried out too much, you can peel the skin off of them and then get actually into the nut itself. Okay. What else do you look at? Um, you know, even maple trees. Okay. Maple trees, beech trees, oak trees. This time of the year, the ash and the elms have already started dropping their leaves, but the oaks and the maples and the you know the beech trees still hold their leaves in. Same thing. You just grab a handful of those, throw them in your pocket, and just you know basically just crush them up in your hands. You can throw them on your tree stand. You can throw them back in your pocket. You can you know put them in a wedge of a tree or just drop them onto the ground. Okay, so you're taking you're taking just regular old leaves, crushing them up, getting some of the oils and and putting it on your your clothing or whatever it is you're wearing. Mm-hmm, correct. Okay. Yeah, is- wipe it on my arms, on my hands. You know, I'm not going to necessarily wipe it on my face, but no, no. Yeah. But the clothing would be fine. Right. How are you taking? It sounds like you're not being too selective, but whatever's in the area, you're grabbing. So exactly, you could take this methodology and apply it to any place in the country. Take what's in your natural surroundings, as long as it's not like poison ivy, and, <laughs> right? right? And, and and have at it. Crush it, mix it up, make a little. You know, uh, almost like if you took a a, a mortar and a pestle and just kind of ground some stuff up, and then take that and smear it all over your clothes. That's basically going to become your cover scent because it's going to be aromatic for a little while. Yeah, exactly. Well, even with the uh, the goldenrod, you know, if I'm in there for a uh, a four hour sit, you know, an hour into it, I'll take that bundle out of my pocket, recrush it up, wipe it on my pant legs or on my knees or on my elbows, something like that. Okay. And then you know, keep on re- you know doing that every hour, every two hours, whatever. As long as it's up there with you, you know, if you if you pay attention and you do what you need to do to be scent control yourself, yep. you know, use the correct uh, you know shower soaps for. You know, illuminate your scent. Use the cover sprays, which I do. I do all that stuff. I'm a big advocate of all that and scent right. lock as well. The the little things you can do that the native Indians basically used to do, and that's how they hunted. They didn't have scent lock and ozonics back then. Right, right. Those those little things will just add up in such a substantial way that just helps you. I just had a buck this past week, and I took a video of it with my cell phone. The little spike was directly through my tree stand, and it came in the trail that I walked in on that I cut about a month and a half ago, came right down my trail, monkeyed around the tree at my base, yeah. and then kept on going completely downwind of me. Hmm. Never even 
even hesitated. There's something to be said for the whole idea. And what I, what I like about it is just take the net, the things that are in your area. So this, this show applies mm-hmm. to any place in, in New, New England, for example, or in New Hampshire, I take hemlock. Hemlock's everywhere. Yep, yep. Very aromatic. Comes these pine needles, basically. Really, really sp- mm-hmm. small, less than an inch. But you grab, you just strip off a little bit of that, crushing up in your hand, especially this time of year before it dries out too much. And just a little bit goes a long way. You just cover your, your body. I had, I had, you know, obviously you're still playing the wind. Wind's number one. Correct, correct. But let's say that wind shifts. There's, you still could get winded because you're still producing sure. human odors. But if whatever edge you can do for yourself, make whatever you have blend in, hope that the wind plays out right maybe you have like a scent lock ozone generator and you have that too but there's so many little things that you can do and this is just an easy free way to to do it just like as you said the indians used to do this all the time Mm -hmm. this is how they hunted they hunted downwind and they hunted with natural cover scents that are readily available to you everywhere and you should Try to use them as much as you can to blend into the background of what the natural smells are where you're hunting. Now, you obviously don't want to, if you're hunting um, an oak flat and you don't have any apple trees around you, well, you don't want to go up to the grocery store and get a bushel of apples and take them in there with you. That will alarm the deer. There's a, that's a scent they're just not used to. Right. But if you can get your native stuff that grows you know, natively all around your area and use that and utilize that, man, you've, just, you've really increased your success on beating the deer's nose and that's what a deer's nose is 500 to a thousand times stronger than a human's right right you know that's a lot when did you start using this kind of technique when did you discover that this was a good idea probably to be honest about 10 years ago okay right i've told more and more people about it i've had friends tell me i should write a book about it you know this and that but it is again it's proven itself just this alone there's so many other things that i do but just this alone is just such a huge drastic measure that helps so 10 years ago or so what what was that defining moment like what what made you say hey i should try this oh man back then i think i was still using mossy oak tree bark um right. you know i didn't have any chain on stands i didn't have any climbers i was basically hunting on the ground on the edge of a swamp and uh i remember watching you know all the does skirt the edge of the swamp right over towards my area and it, they wouldn't be able to get within bow range i mean ever ever get within bow range of me Hmm. And I kept on thinking, you know, what am I doing wrong? And I did the baking soda, you know, the trying to wash and take care of my clothing and all that different kind of thing. But nothing worked as well. And I was, I studied horticulture in college. Okay. That's how I know a thing or two about plants. And uh, I started looking around and I just grabbed, I think it was just a sprig of goldenrod one day. And I just kind of had it in my hand as I was leaning up against a tree. I'm like, wow, this stuff is like really, it's right there in your face. Hmm. So I started looking around and realized that it was everywhere. It was absolutely everywhere. And uh, I started filling my pockets from there on out. And, and that was it. And <laughs> did, did you start to see a, a change in deer behavior? And were you able to get closer at that point? Was that something that you noticed that you could do more readily? Dramatically. Okay. Dramatically. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a deer. You know, you see a doe and she'll do that fake out. She'll drop her head and pop it right back up at you. Yeah. I haven't seen that in years. Really? And I'm not trying, I'm, I'm honest, I'm not trying to say I'm better than anybody because I'm not. I'm just average mark hunter, but okay. I take things serious. I, my time is limited. I got a almost two-year-old son, and I want to give him as much time as I possibly can. But when I go out there, I want to make sure that I've done everything possible in my ability 
to increase my odds. I mean, this, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all in the same boat. You know, let's see how many deer we can see. Let's get some food in the freezer. Gotcha. Do you do it religiously? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very interesting. Very, so that, I think that's it's just a great tip. Um, if you haven't done it, you should definitely give it a try. It's something, mm-hmm. and just really just go look around, see what's out there, and as long as it's not going to give you a rash, go go right. put it on yourself. Right. The one thing I will recommend is if you grab a flower and plant, make sure you shake it real quick. Because I did this a couple years back. I grabbed some goldenrod and I threw it in my pocket, and about a minute and a half later, man, there was a yellow jacket in my pocket stinging the heck out of me. Gotcha. So when you break it off, just shake it real quick. Okay, just just to get the bugs off. Got it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what other techniques do you employ when you go in the woods other than natural cover scent? I mean, what? let's talk a little bit about your strategies that you use besides that. What do you, well, what the, do, you do? The other thing that I will do, and I want to really hit on this one, because this is the second best thing that I think any hunter out there can do, is when you get to the base of your tree, scrape the ground. Take your boot, kick the ground right at the base of your tree. Usually that soil is a lot lighter and airy, and it also has a lot of a lot more broken down uh, material in it. So if you kick that inch, top layer of inch of soil, that is almost as good as any kind of scent spray you can get out there on the market. And it's at the base of your tree. Even if you're hunting in a ground blind and you're next to some trees, do the same thing. That is so aromatic, and that will literally, you'll be up in your tree stand, you'll be able to smell that. Plus the deer, yeah, you know, the deer out, they always like fresh dirt. They always like the minerals that are exposed once you kick up some dirt. Gotcha. I think the dirt is something that is something that we often overlook, but I love dirt. Mm-hmm. Dirt's the best. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, scuff it up with your boots, gets, gets the, the soil smell on your boots, um, all that kind of stuff. Just so dirt, and, and, and I think deer are attracted to dirt smell um, in they my are. experience. So if you... Yeah, if you, even if you took like a little, you know, those little three prong like garden rakes, and you just mm-hmm. scrape up the dirt, almost guaranteed to to have a deer come check that out in twenty four hours. Correct. Yeah, just- I could not agree with you more. And it imitates a scrape in some aspects. You know, what's that? Um, what's that fresh earth smell? You know, right. might it might? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a scientist by any means. But that might trigger a deer's sense. You know, something just made a scrape relatively around here. You know, it could be. I don't know. Right. right. But I know, you know over the years that that has been a huge, huge successful, uh, basically just a huge, you know, helper. You know, putting that scent in the air at the base of a tree. You know, that's golden. Yep. Really, really good stuff. Um, what yeah. What other things do you do as far as your preparation before you go in the woods? Preparation. Oh boy, this is a this is probably the hardest part about my hunts. Um, I have three children and a wife that's a nurse. Well, soon to be wife that's a nurse. And for me to get the washer and dryer where it doesn't have a whole bunch of laundry soap and softener in it is impossible. So what I do is uh, take two or three towels and I throw them in there and I wash them probably at least two cycles in scent-free detergent. You know, whether it's you know. Uh, scent killer or hunter specialties product, whatever it may be. Whatever I have you know, around clothes, that's what I'll use. And then I do the same thing and through the dryer. But I'll take uh, you know scent killer and I'll spray the whole inside of the dryer. Put a couple of dryer sheets in there and make sure when it's done, stick my head in there. Yeah, I look goofy, but you know I'm hunting. This is important to me. And make sure I can't smell any kind of softener or fabric, you know, any kind of soap, anything in there that I shouldn't have in there. Then I put all my scent lock stuff in there. 
and uh, you know run through a wash cycle, continue that into the dryer, and put a couple more sheets in there. And I have gone as far as taking goldenrod and old wood chips and putting those into a sock and throwing those in there for the last 10 minutes, along with the clothes in there. And uh, you, I was very surprised at how how much scent came out of that sock with the goldenrod and wood chips and basically adhered itself into my clothing. Hmm. Yeah. It was simple. Didn't cost me a penny to do it. Right. Took a, you know, an extra minute of time. Gotcha. But the, the outcome I think was big. That's I awesome. Really yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's a great tip. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, what style of hunting do you prefer? So do you, you said that you used to do the ground hunting quite a bit. Yeah. What? Um, I'm a, I'm a tree stand boy. You're, you're a tree stand guy now. Yeah. Yep. Why? I love it. Why do you like that better? Well, it, number one, I call it tree stand therapy and, uh, with a young one, I never have enough time to myself, so that's my sit-and-think kind of time. But when I go up 20 feet, it's nice to be able to look over you know, the swamp or the river next to it and see all the wood ducks and see the deer crossing or playing in the river with the beaver running up and down. I, to me, I would much rather be up above that elevated wind stream as best that I can and hope and try that you know, what I'm doing is going to work, and it does. I mean, it's proven itself to me time and time again. But also being up and just having a nice, comfy place to look and just relax and enjoy it and take it all in. To me, that's what it's about. You know, yeah, I love hunting. I love shooting a deer. I love, you know, I'm grateful that I do do that and I'm, you know, I'm allowed to do that. But being up there in the tree stand to me is what it's really about. Gotcha. And anybody that knows me knows that. Okay. And how about the the weapon of choice? What do you prefer? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big bow hunter. Okay. I used to shotgun hunt a lot, and I got a muzzle loader. I haven't taken that out in a couple of years. Um, I'm a big bow hunter. That's right. what I live for. All right. Why? It's a challenge. I mean, it's it's not a. I'm not going to knock anybody with a crossbow or with a gun or a pistol or anything like that. To me, to be able to pull back a bow, pull back an arrow, lock on a point, lock on the back of your ear, your kisser button, your peep sight, whatever it may be, and be able to do that steady enough as the deer's moving and get that deer to stop, that is exhilarating. I mean, that's like, if you don't get a chill through your spine, man, you're doing it wrong. You're not appreciating what it's really about. It's the whole challenge of it. Yep, gotcha. Everything included with it. Let's let's take a look at your backpack. One of my, my favorite things to do is to <laughs> check out what folks like us take into the woods with them. Um, so let's, uh, I don't know if you have a backpack prepared right now. You don't have to, but... If you were to unzip your backpack, what would we find in it? Oh, man. Well, I carry so much stuff in there. I actually had to buy a sewing kit the other day because I ripped the arm strap out of it, the shoulder strap out of it. But I carry, you know, all my different cover scents. And I carry, you know, a Ziploc for my cell phone and my face mask. I mean, I don't want to, when I'm going into my stand, I don't want to be carrying anything more than I absolutely have to because I don't want to start sweating. So, you know, my cover sense, my binoculars, my range finder, um, sometimes a snack, a bottle of water or something, a bunch of uh, those little screw-in hooks. Mm-hmm. I love using those. Just It's easier and nicer just to have all your stuff hanging right there where it's accessible, where you don't have to move around and you know turn three different ways just to get your binoculars off the tree. What about your clothing? As a bow hunter, obviously clothing might be a little different than maybe still hunting, whatever. What kind of clothing are you typically wearing Let's, let's start with like early season. Scent lock. Okay. Scent lock, scent lock, scent lock. Nice. I'm a, such a huge advocate of that product. It is, uh, 
I honestly believe, and I'm not just saying this, that that has increased the odds for me of seeing deer and taking deer dramatically. Okay. And how about the material? Like, is it, describe what it feels like. It's, uh, well, it depends. I mean, late season, I use a lot of the fleece. Okay. So that's a softer, you know, more insulated type of material. Sure. Early season, I use single layer and then uh, I use, you know, the underlayment system. You know, I use that. If it's a little cold in the morning, I'll throw on, you know, uh, you know, a scent lock under, uh, under, uh, you know, long johns in their shirt. Okay. All right. What about, what about boots? Oh man, they gotta be knee boots. They have to be knee boots that are insulated a little bit and they have to be like at least two years old. Because I don't know if you've ever bought a pair of knee boots and tried to warm them into the woods. Well, you can smell them while you're sitting there in the tree stand. Yes. Two years old. So your mark is two years old. When yeah. You're talking about fresh boots. <laughs> yep. All right. So how, how, do you, how do you buy your boots then? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. <laughs> it, <laughs> at work, we get a clothing allowance okay. for the road department. And uh, so this year's hunting boot is next year's work boot. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's that's what I do. You know, if it's sense. too cold for my knee boots, then you know I have a pair of uh, another big advocate of Irish Setter. I'll throw those on. They're insulated. I think six hundred gram, and uh, you know wear them for this hunting season. And the next year, that's my work boot. Gotcha. All right. Very very nice. Um, let's talk a little bit about your most memorable deer hunt. Oh if we could. man. No, I, don't I was afraid know. I don't you were going to bring that up. I don't know how far we're going back. It can, it can, maybe it's your first hunt ever. I don't know. Um, but let's let's kind of slow it down a little bit and talk about a, a deer hunt that means a lot to you. So let's. Uh, where are we going with this? We are going to Washington County, Southern Ohio. Washington County, Southern Ohio. Where is that approximately? Is it on the east side or, or west side? I believe that's just north of Marietta. Okay. Just north of it. Okay. It's a little mom-and-pop kind of town. They actually just got a McDonald's there like 10 years ago, and I thought the city was just going to collapse because people were so upset about it. But it was just that kind of place where you knew, you know, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody's business. You drive down the street, people wave to you. It was just that kind of town. It was just so nice. And uh, shotgun hunting, we used to go down there, me and my buddy and his dad and uncles, we used to go down there every year, and that was our ritual, our tradition. And we get, you stay at this little hotel down there. Now, I don't recommend it to my worst enemy because this hotel was pretty nasty. All the right. shower head was about four and a half foot off the ground, so you had to duck down and take a shower. All right. But it was cheap. And then they gave you 500 acres, and you stay there at the night, they give you 500 acres that surrounds the golf course that they own to hunt. So we nice. all go down. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. You know, hilly, the little bit of the red clay starting down there. Okay. A lot of, right. uh, you know, thickets and yeah. just, yeah, it was beautiful. What, uh, Real, time, what time of year is this? Shotgun season. Okay, which is? Uh, wait, wait, what is that? December. December. All right, so it's yeah. December, Ohio. And what year? Oh, this is probably, well, we quit going down there about, I quit going down there about five years ago. Okay. But, uh, you know, this, this uh, particular hunt was probably about nine or ten seasons ago. Okay. And it was one of those things where, you know, we're with my buddy's dad and his uncles. So we're the young pups. We're the ones doing the drives and dropping them off and picking them up and, you know, all this and all that. But it was such a cool experience because us younger guys got to hang out with all the older guys. And at night we sit around and play cards with them and, you know, drink their whiskey and their bourbon and their wild turkey and, you know, we thought life was, you know, couldn't get any better than that. Right. right. For, unfortunately, since then, a couple of them have passed, including my buddy's dad, who uh, was a huge father figure in, in my eyes. 
to me and it was really a huge help it was my buddies you know that taught me everything about hunting it was him that helped as well but so we're down there in shotgun season and uh my buddy kevin we're hunting down this this ridge the back side of this ridge that kind of overlooks us at that time it was all corn mm-hmm. and he's down there and it was the afternoon hunt and He's basically on this giant rock ledge that dropped down maybe 20 foot into kind of like a flat area with a thicket at the bottom. But we're sitting there, and I was up above him a couple hundred yards up on top of the ridge. And all of a sudden, I hear, kaboom! And uh, we had a radios. So he calls me up on the radio. He's like, Mark, you're not going to believe this. You better get down here. And this boy's got some nice, you know, nice, really nice deer on his wall already. I get down there, and here's a 178-inch 10-pointer beautiful i mean this deer was like magical it was just majestic looking just an absolutely perfect perfect 10 pointer so we take care of that got some pictures with everybody the next morning he's like you gotta go to the same place i'm like kevin man we just dragged that deer out of there you know this and that he's like i don't care i know they're down here in the bottom i'm like all right man i'll trust you so next morning comes up after a couple of drinks that night, it was a little bit of a rough morning. I get down there and I got my thermos of coffee with me, and I'm sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, sitting right above where he had just shot his ten pointer the night before. Hmm. And all of a sudden, a couple of ridges over, you can just hear the distant boom, ba boom, 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 boom. You know, shots going off. I'm like, yeah, that's close, but it's not close enough for me to even you know consider turning around. And five minutes later, you hear two more go off. I'm like, okay, well that was a little bit closer. So as I sit up, I turn around, and I'm, I'm in front of this giant oak tree, and I'm basically on a hillside. I look up this hill, and here is the oldest, grayest deer I have ever seen in my life, even in a magazine. It, not, it had a very large body, but it wasn't like muscular like you see a lot of these bucks these days. Right. This, this thing comes right down at me. I spill my coffee cup over, my thermos over, I turn around, and this thing's like 15 yards away, coming right down at me, just on a on a slow trot. He was going down to the thicket in the bottom. So I lift up my shotgun and wait for him to pass this first tree, and he gets past the second tree, and I let it fly. Boom! You know, thought I got him. He kept on going. So I unload, got the next shell in it. Boom! Same thing. Did the third time. Boom! Put it right on him. I forgot to do one very important thing. When you're shooting a gun, a rifle, or a shotgun that has iron sights on it, it's always best to look down the top of that rifle. There's those two things that stand up that you're supposed to look through to help you aim. Yeah, well, I kind of forgot to do that. I just started pulling the trigger and pumping slugs at the thing. Never once hit it, and the closest it we got from me was nine feet, and I missed it three times. Oh. <laughs> I'm not going to say I teared up. But I knew there would never be a buck like that to ever encounter with in my lifetime. Just an absolute giant. He was the old man of the woods. And when I say he was gray, I mean, he was gray. Just an absolute beautiful deer. And uh, I missed him three times with a shotgun with 15 yards and under. No kidding. Yeah. And you're still kicking yourself to this day. Oh, completely. I mean, that that deer, <laughs> that deer will never leave my mind. I mean, that was the one that got away. Wow. Yeah, just I mean, if you were to picture an old grandfather type of majestic deer in the wilderness, man, all day long, that was him. Right. Did anybody and ever get the deer? No, not that I know of. Okay. Not that I know of. Yeah. I know I didn't. <laughs> right. How often do you get out in the woods these days? Oh, archery hunting. Well, yeah. um. I used to get out about 50 days a year. Okay. 
that was about my average. And now with uh, soccer practice and Girl Scouts and cheer and, yeah. you know, my son's almost two, it's, I don't have the time that I do, that I did. This, not this weekend we're up and coming on, the following weekend, I already told my old lady, I'm like, Saturday and Sunday, I'm going to be up in my tree. And she's like, okay. Gotcha. So, you know, not as much as I need, as I want to. Um, I would probably say if I got out 25 times this year, I will be happy. Okay. Uh, the rut, I took off the 7th through the 14th for the rut up here. Okay. So you got to, you're, you're still going to get out. You don't get as, out as much. And I think lots of us are in that boat. We don't hunt as much as we used to. We don't hunt as much as we'd necessarily like to, um, but we get out on just enough to kind of wet our palate and, and keep us in the game. Right, right. Yeah, yep. Uh, yep. excellent. So tell me about your latest endeavor uh, and adventure in the outdoor product world um, with the Stealth Step. What is that all about? Yeah, Stealth Step. It's, uh, it is somebody that thought outside of the box, and that's the best way I can put it. Okay. The owner's name is Dave McNaughton, and uh, he's a longtime friend of mine. He would, as well as me, he'd give me the shirt off of his back if I asked him for it, and me as well. Hmm. Machinist, he's not an engineer, he's not a rocket scientist, he's nothing, not a doctor, nothing like that. He knows how things work, and he's very proficient and very knowledgeable with how things work. So he climbed up in this tree one day and realized he wanted to make something that was better, but most importantly, safer. So he came up with this idea, sitting in this tree stand one day of stealth step. And it's a, it's basically a ladder system, a tree ladder system that fits right in your backpack. Hmm. Um, it mimics the shape of a mushroom on the side of a tree. It, they're, uh, they're three, I mean, each step will hold 300 pounds, hmm. which I know, I'm safe on that one. I know that one for a fact. Right. The product took four years of product research and testing until he finally came out and actually made the product and sold it, you know, before it would even hit the marketplace. He wanted to make sure that what he's coming up with was the best out there, the safest out there, and just easiest to use and most comfortable. And it is. You know, a 20-foot ladder fits right in your backpack, and it weighs, I believe, 9 pounds. Hmm. Fits right in your backpack. What's it look like? It, it mimics. Uh, right now, they're brown. They are going to be getting dipped into camouflage in the future. Okay. Um, but it, it mimics the mushroom on a tree. Okay. Have you ever seen the mushrooms that grow, I believe, on the west side of a tree? Sure. And what, It mimics that. And what are they made of? It's, it's actually, the product itself is actually, it's a, uh, a high-strength polymer okay. that has UV inhibitors in, made into it. And uh, I can tell you one thing. I have used, I have actually holding one here in my hand right now. I have stepped on this, on one, one particular step, well over in excess of 2,000 times showing people the product. Me personally, I'm like I said, I'm 220 pounds. After the fourth day of that show, we still had not touched that step, adjusted it, did anything to it. This, I mean, they are strong. They are sturdy. Basically what it is, it's, it looks kind of like a wedge. And um, they're seven and a half inches across by nine and a quarter inches wide. Basically, what you do is you put your, your strap through it that we provide. It comes with a step. It's a pull strap. And what you do is when you pull it tight around the tree, what it does, kind of like when you do with your ladder sticks and things like that, you just pull it, and that's, that's how you get it taut. Well, Dave went as far as when you pull it, it's taut, and that's kind of like the standard. But he created a wedge into it. So as you step onto it, it locks itself onto the tree. This step will not go anywhere. And I'm here to tell you that because, I, like I said, I stepped on that one up the show a couple thousand times. 
and it will not kick out. It will not kick you backward, sideways, or the other way. It's impossible for it to happen. So basically, the top of the step where you would step on or put your hands on, and that's the most important part to me, is being able to, as you're climbing up, you have something good and sturdy to hold on to, has 14 really big aggressive lugs on it. And um, so you put what you do is you put up the first one on the ground. Put up your second one, and you keep working your way up the tree. It takes the same amount of time as putting up a ladder stick. It's just safer and quieter. These things don't make an, an ounce of noise. They're absolutely completely quiet. Hmm. Yeah, there's no scent to them. Um, you know, a, I believe a 20-foot ladder, I believe, is 11 inches tall, 11 and a half inches tall, weighs 9 pounds, just over 9 pounds, and that goes in your backpack. And there's nothing like that out there. So when you say ladder, it's not like a ladder that you... You, it's not like a metal ladder you're going to put up against a tree. It's it's a it, climbing steps essentially. Correct is what you're, you're doing, and the the steps strap onto the tree individually, and then Correct. you can. And then I think some of the 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 weight compounds upon itself as you step on it, so it digs further into the tree, making it more sturdy. Right. Well, it doesn't dig into the tree at all, and that's one okay. of the nice aspects of this. Um, what it does is it creates a wedge and the, the, the three surfaces come in contact with the tree. So you have three points of, of, of contact there. So it does not dig into the tree at all. And that's, that's one thing he wanted to point out when he was building this is he wanted a product that would be safe on all state lands, you know, public lands. And uh, so, yeah, and it, it just basically touches, it goes onto the tree, the strap holds it in place. And then again, once you, once you step on it, it creates that wedge and really locks it on there. And it will not go anywhere. Gotcha. That's it's a fascinating. Yeah. How much are they retailing for? The retail price for a fifteen foot ladder is ninety nine ninety nine. Okay. And for a twenty foot ladder is one twenty four ninety nine. Now with both of those, we will give you an extra step that you can kind of use as a handhold for going over to your tree stand or going back to your to the ladder okay. to the steps. Um, How do you get the, the the like as you're going up? The tree. You put mm-hmm. one on the tree. You step on it. You put another on the tree. You step on it. How do you how do you hold yourself to the tree as you're going up? Lineman's belt. Lineman's belt. Lineman's belt. Gotcha. There's nothing safer that I've re- realized on the market. Okay. And it's it's hands free. Now you as well as I have probably known or seen so many people fall out of a tree stand installing a, a, a you know a stick or. Even the ladder stand, you know, it falls over. This year alone, just on uh, just on Facebook, I've noticed seven different people that have been pictures of them in the hospital with broken bones and gouges. One guy had his ear ripped all the way down from his ear all the way down to his chin mm. when he when his uh, he fell out. So, and that's that's why Dave came up with this. He wanted something that's gonna. He's got a whole boatload of grandkids, mm-hmm. and he wanted to make sure that he got home to see them okay. every night, and right. that's his goal along with mine, and I think it should be everybody else's. So using that lineman's belt, just it, it makes it into a hands-free thing. So okay. what you've done now is you've got your second or third, from the ground, your second or third step attached to the tree. Mm-hmm. Put your lineman's belt around. You take the rest of the steps, and you put it in that last one that you already put up on the tree. Okay. So all the material that you need is right there in front of you, and you're not even touching it. Get up to where the eight, next 18-inch step should be. That's what we're going with. Mm-hmm. You take out the top step, you put your strap through it, put it around the tree, pull it tight, step it down. Okay. Take the next one up, move that bundle up into that step you just adhere, just put up. Yep. Same thing. Take that step out, strap it, step it down, lock it down, take that bundle up to the next one. 
And the it's whole time you've got the simple. lineman's belt on as you're moving up the yep. tree? Okay. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to. Yeah, I would think you need to for the balance. Like you just Right. Yeah. And it's a peace of mind. I mean, I've used it enough to where, you know, it's it's such a comfort knowing that I can lean all the way back. You know, like I said, again, I'm a bigger guy. I can lean all the way back and I don't even have to think about it. I know that I'm going to be safe and secure. And a lot of the harnesses you buy, you know, we're uh, we're doing a lot of work in helping out hunter safety systems. And they're helping us out as well. If you go on our website, their stuff comes up. If you go on theirs, our stuff comes up. A lot of the new safety harnesses actually have the lineman's belt hooks already on it. So all you would need is basically a simple strap or the pressing knot or summit rope, and there's your lineman's belt already with your harness. Gotcha. All right. Very fascinating product. You use this in the woods now? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love it. Okay. I did uh, last year during the rut, November, I believe it was the 9th. Again, I hunt a swamp. I hunt. For me to get to my tree stand, I put my boat in the lake, put my electric motor on it, go across the lake, 136-acre lake, go up the river, park the boat, get out, and walk to my tree from there. So for me to, to be able to go and do this, it's it's I've just reduced a lot of the effort just by taking the, my little John boat in the, in, to the woods that way. But I absolutely love it. So last year, November 9th, I'm sitting there, and I did not have my boat, so I actually had to walk in. It was about a 45-minute hike across a river, across a beaver dam on a river, on the backside of a swamp just to get to this area. But I knew it would be worth it. I'm sitting there in the morning, and all these does, and I can see a couple little bucks. Nothing substantial, just a couple bucks chasing around. They're all the other end of the swamp. So I'm like, man, I haven't seen a single thing over here. They're all coming in and out of that swamp right there. I took them down in the matter of like eight minutes to the ground, went back over there, went about 150 yards over close to where they were coming out, put them back up in. So I was, I had taken my tree stand and my steps down, put in the, installed them back up, installed my tree stand within 32 minutes. And I timed myself on that. No to kidding. me, that was, imp- yeah, that was impressive. And they're not like sticks. They don't make a single bit of noise. Hmm. When they're stacked together, they're literally locked together. They don't make any noise whatsoever. Gotcha. And do you, do you leave? Yeah. Do you ever leave them out in the woods, or you always pack them up and bring them home? Uh, that's your own personal preference, depending on uh, how much you trust people. Right. Um, I hunt where I hunt is actually public land. It's a lottery system that I get pulled on. So for me, what I do is I take off the bottom three or four, depending on where I'm at um, and what kind of tree. I'll take off the bottom of three or four, just throw those in my backpack, and then just hike those out back to the boat and leave the rest of them up on the tree. If you have your own land and you can trust your neighbors and the other people hunting the property, leave them on. Leave them on. It's just your it's your own preference and whether you can trust the people around the area. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Fascinating. I love hearing about new products that are kind of out there, and that's definitely one of the ones that are it's just new and different. And I, I like the engineers. It's cool stuff. It is something else. Yeah. At the uh, the Great American Sportsman Show in Harrisburg. Yes. I was uh, fortunate. I mean, it was like the greatest time of my life. I did the show this past March up there with Dave, and I had more people come up to me and, oh, what is that? It's a tree step. What? How is that thing a tree step? And I showed them, and I had, this is no exaggeration, probably 97% of the people were just like, that is the greatest idea ever. How come I didn't think about that? Where can I get it? How does it work? Just the, the input and the feedback was unbelievable. Right made me such a believer and you know and again i work very closely with dave the, the owner and you know i'm the one that's i'm mr social yes anybody that knows me knows that uh i'm the i'm the social bug 
gotcha. I like talking to people. I, I love information, giving people information, trying to help people out. Yep. And the feedback has just been through the roof. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I hope uh, the place, or I hope the steps go far, you know, further up the tree than they've already gone, uh, <laughs> so to speak. So that's pretty cool. Very nice. All right, Mark, I've got 10 rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready for them? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. What's your number one hunting tip of all time? Oh, man. Number one hunting tip, teach a kid. <laughs> that's the best. I've, we haven't had that one before, but that's great. Yeah. Great. Teach, teach a kid what it's about, not just about the hunt, about you know being the proper woodsman, just enjoying what you're doing, what's surrounding you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Great answer. Uh, what's the one thing that you can't live without? Like, what's that one piece of equipment or device or thing you got to bring in the woods with you makes you feel a little more comfortable when you're in the stand? Uh, my bow always helps. Okay. Um, Besides your weapon, what's the <laughs> kind of like good luck charm or anything like that, or just something you just feel like, you know, if I got to have this with me or else um, my hunt's not going to go quite as well. Um, my, my, bina- <coughs> I'm sorry. Yep. My binoculars. binoculars. I've been waiting for my son who, to uh, kind of give me something goofy that I can actually put in my backpack and take with me every time. But until that happens, it's my binoculars. Gotcha. All right. Uh, <clears throat> what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, man. Hunting or non-hunting? In life. In, in life. Not being true to who you are. Um, how old are you today, Mark? Uh, 43. 43. Very nice. Yeah. What would it you... works. They call me the man-child. The man-child. Yeah, I've got the same problem. <laughs> what would you tell the 20-year-old Mark Stuckbauer? Man, listen to my mom. Listen to yeah, your mom. Li- listen to my mom. Take her advice. All right. What was your mom telling you back then? <laughs> don't do the stuff i was doing <laughs> okay don't do the stuff i was doing gotcha no i turned out good um luckily i had uh i had some good friends and some good morals and you know some stuff that kept us busy other than you know we always worked yep yep all right you meet a stranger in a hotel lobby at a hunting convention they ask you what you do for a living what do you tell them oh man what do i tell them well, I'd probably tell them that uh, I'm a father and an outdoorsman. Nice. And I, right. For a living, I, I work for, I have a great job at a great place. Nice. What did, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> All right. You get your own billboard. It's a blank canvas. You can put anything on it that you want. Anything. What would it say? Oh, man. Life is a box of chocolates. Be careful which ones you pick. <laughs> Nice. I like it. Um, if I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Success. Because so many of my friends I consider successful. You know, They come home from the end of the day at work with a smile on their face to see their family. Right. You know, to me, that's success. You know, I don't care what you have, what you drive, how big your house is. You know, if you want to talk you know, over a, a Bud Light and talk, tell me a good deer story and look me square in the eyes while you're doing it, that's successful. Right. Gotcha. All right. What's a day in the life of Mark Stuckbauer look like? Oh, well, it depends if my son slept through the night or not. And so far, he's only done that twice, and he's two years old almost. Right, right. Get up at 5.30 in the morning, drink my cup of coffee, play with – I got two labs, play with them for a little bit. Hopefully, Brody isn't up yet. And uh, Maddie, the oldest daughter, she gets up and gets on the school bus about the same time I leave for work. Go to work, do my job, come home. And I live four minutes from work, so I'm home by like 3.35 every day. And uh, get the kids off the bus or go get my son from daycare. 
shoot my bow a little bit, drink some more coffee, kick back, relax with some hunting shows, and help the girls with homework. Gotcha. Very nice. All right, let's change that a little bit. What's a deer hunting day in the life of Mark Stuckbauer look like? <laughs> well, it starts with I try getting ready the night before, get all my stuff ready in the dryer and you know, whatnot. Sound like you have to reactivate, and I do that quite often. Get the boat loaded up in the truck, get the trolling motor, and make sure the battery is fully charged. And my flashlights are good to go. Get up about 5 o'clock, um, drink my coffee, get in the shower, get the boat unloaded on the lake, and uh, try to find my way across it, which always is not that easy. Gotcha. And uh, go up the river, put the boat on up on the shore, get my stuff out of it, climb up to my tree stand, and then start enjoying it. So you use the river as a uh, way to get to your stand. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice element added to the hunt. That's pretty cool. It it, it is. It's uh, it's quiet. It's peaceful, and there's you know there's no energy taken to do it. You don't right. end up sweating. Right. Oh, Plus that's the ducks cool. and the beavers and all the other stuff kind of just add to it. Right. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Well, that's the ten rapid fire questions. I'd say you pass. So good job. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Mark, this has been a pleasure, and I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about natural cover sense and, uh, you you know, where you came from and how you got into hunting and where where you've been and what's in your backpack and all the the stuff about the the stealth step. I think you've got a lot of cool stuff going on, and thanks for uh, letting me pick your brain for about an hour. Man, anytime. I had a great time. This is something else. What you guys have and what you guys produce and how you talk to uh, the people that call up and you put on your show is something to be proud of. And I'm, uh, I'm proud that you invited me on as well. I enjoyed talking to Mark about his techniques, his styles. And as we do on the show, we try to investigate the brains of the better deer hunters in the world and bring them to our show so that you can become a better deer hunter too. And I, I really enjoyed listening to Mark talk about natural cover scent. I still, I'm still amazed by that, that stealth step. You know, it's amazing that you can actually get up the tree with something so light. And it's, I mean, it's cool that you can stack it too. And it, one of the, I thought it was interesting how he says that he'll leave them on the tree except for the bottom three if he's on public ground. Because I guess, you know, it's not so convenient to get up six, seven, eight feet to grab the last four or five steps. So I thought that was kind of smart. And then all you're carrying in this is a super lightweight plastic um, step, basically, that attaches to the tree. So it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. So yeah. check, check that out. It's definitely interesting. And I think that, uh, man, it, it, the way it hauls into the woods, you can't beat it. It's convenient and easy to bring with you, which is unlike on, on some of the other devices that you need to get into a tree stand. So thanks to Mark Stuckbauer for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast. And Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week this week? Yeah, Jay, we sure do. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morse'ssportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Right now, the bucks are really hammering the feed bag, and they're focusing on either cut corn, standing corn, standing soybeans, cut soybeans, fields, um, you know, check check for a big track there. Then you can also find the acorns right now. If you can uh, locate where they've left a, a rub and a scrape line and you got a food source, boy, you're going to be on top of them. They're going to come and see you. Awesome.
Yeah, very, very good point. Well, thanks again to Mark Stuckbauer for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast and talking about natural cover stand and the stealth step. And thank you to the Scentlock Enforcer for sponsoring this show. Thank you to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. And thank you once again to Jim Snow and the Eurohanger. You don't have to spend big bucks to hang your big bucks. Love that slogan, by the way. Yeah, get yourself a Euro hanger. Yep. I've, I, I'm going to, I hopefully I'm going to need one this year. I really would like to get a nice deer. So, yeah, got uh, two of Maxi right here in the studio at my place. I, I really like the way the Euro hanger hangs my, my Euro mounts. I think they're great. I think they, you know, they, we've posted a couple of those videos on Facebook about how to use them, and they're actually pretty handy. Uh, I think it, it's better than a nail. You know, it's got the right angle and super solid, and you can hang a, a very large mount with this thing. It's, it's, I don't know, it feels like aircraft steel. I don't know if it is or not, but it certainly feels that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely way better than a nail. Uh, it, it, you know, and it's got multiple, multiple purposes, you know. It'll hang a bear skull, a whitetail skull, a mule deer skull, it, you know, antelope. I think uh, it's, it's got quite a few purposes, yeah. something that uh, – if you got a nice Euro mount sitting on the floor, you you want to get it on the wall, check out the Euro hanger. Yep. It's it's pretty neat. It's a, such a simple device, and it's one of those devices like, why didn't I think of that? But, it's, I mean, you couldn't recreate this by yourself. You've got to, you've got to buy these things because you just can't make them at home. They're that well made. The other thing I've been using a lot of, Dusty, is my ozone generator, the personal ozone generator, the Scentlock Enforcer. And, you know, we yes, they are a sponsor, but I actually – been using it. it's actually quite handy i've been uh for example i leave a lot of my clothes outside uh but when i bring my son with me he it's cold you know it's cold outside he doesn't necessarily want to go back to the outdoor changing room the screen house that we use as our chain or i use as my changing room in the the during deer season he wants to go inside because he's been sitting in the ice cold for the last two hours because dad made him. Uh, and, you know, when you're not seeing deer, he's he's ready. He wants to change inside. I'm like, that's fine, but now you got to deal with the odors of your house. So what I have him do is unload, put all the clothes right in the tote, and then we turn on the ozone generator, the scent lock yeah. enforcer. Oh, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful weapon to have in your arsenal, that's for sure. Sure is. Yeah, and then I went through the whole wash uh, the other day with some clothes that I were getting ready for from colder weather gear. Took them out of the, the dryer, hung them outside for a little bit, then put them in the tote, hit them with ozone, and then hang them back outside. I just think it's a nice extra edge. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. Uh, I, I'm proven fact that it works. Work boots that uh, I wear sometimes 18 hours a day. Uh, not that my feet stink real bad, but they have a odor and uh put the enforcer down in the boots for about five minutes each boot wipes the smell out so it's amazing yeah it, it is kind of mind-boggling how good it is so but yeah i'm very happy with our sponsors and the products they're using and we actually use the products that they produce and we're happy with them too so uh check check out the uh, scent lock enforcer and check out the euro hanger and of course oh you know if you're in the area of new hampshire Go to Morse's Sporting Goods or even go online. You can check out all all their stuff that they offer, uh, the used guns and the new guns that Jim does sell. Granted, you do have to go to Jim's to pick up your gun if you buy one, but it's pretty cool. So anyway, Dusty, how can we find you when you're not hanging out here on the mic with me? Shoot me an email, Dusty at uh, BigBuckRegistry.com. You can look me up on Facebook, Chubby Tines Outdoors, and uh, shoot me an invite on Instagram, at Chasing Antler. 
Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic and be ready for a whole lot of big bucks right here? Right. Get it. Prepare yourself. It's fairly easy. I'm not going to overwhelm you, but if you just Google Big Buck Registry, you will find pretty much all the places we're at. But here's where you can look in specifically. If you want to contact me, shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com. You can always give us a call at 724-613-2825. One of the things, and especially this time of year, Dusty, as, as the bucks start to fall, and if you have the gumption, call that number right after the right after the shot and let us know what you just did because there's nothing better than capturing that adrenaline rush right after you pulled the trigger or shot the bow on a big buck there really isn't jay and when somebody calls in and tells us the story right like seconds after it happened oh my gosh yeah. it's just so intense and we love it it is intense and we will play that on the air on the next show if you do that so keep that in mind, 724-613-2825. Otherwise, you can find us all over social media. Instagram is instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Twitter, twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. YouTube, youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. Google Plus, same kind of thing. So you, you can kind of see the theme. And if you'd like to have your buck featured, on the Big Buck Registry Facebook page and be featured in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans just like you. Just go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck. All the instructions will be right there. And finally, if you would like to become a patron of the show, we've had a few patrons recently. Bob Dumong, Doug Priest, and several others have recently joined the movement to support this show. It's simple. It's real simple. One, five, ten dollars a month, as much as you can afford. I don't want you to break the bank. But if you can help us by supporting the show, you can pledge your support by going to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. And all the instructions are right there. Very simple. Takes a credit card. Do it for a little while. If you feel like you can't do it anymore, then then shut you can shut it off. It's that simple. Bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge. I think that's everywhere we're at, Dusty. Yeah, I like to say thanks to everybody that uh, that follows along with us week after week. You know, you download our program and you comment on our social media and like it and Instagram. Man, it's just uh, much appreciated. There, everybody that's uh, involved with the Big Buck Registry as far as uh, social media and and uh, the show here, the downloads, and you know, we like to call everybody hunting buddies, and we appreciate everything that everybody's done for us, and uh, we look forward to talking with you week after week. I completely second that, and we'll continue to bring you this rich content as long as you keep pushing the play button. We can monitor that stuff. So you push play, we'll bring the content. That's the way this works each and every week. So we'll, we'll be back next week, as we usually are, with another great show, and I'm sure you'll, sure we'll have another great guest to feature on the show so you can listen in. And other than that, Dusty, I think that's a wrap. Well, I'm Dusty Phillips. And I'm Jay Scott. And this is another great episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.